Welcome to the podcast of Life Change Church, where we exist to love people to life change. We hope that this podcast is both challenging and encouraging to you. Enjoy the message. All right, well, good morning. Hey, we're excited you're here. As you can tell, we've got some fun stuff going on, some incredible stuff going on. And again, life groups are starting this week. So this is a huge way for you to connect with the church, connect with each other, and really put something in your life that uh, allows you to grow spiritually, allows you to grow closer to God. So make sure you uh, check out that life group handout. You can get that at the Connect Center or in your bulletin as well. I will make one quick correction to that. The Huffman Dalton one will actually start the third week of this month, though. So it's not actually starting this week. So if you plan on going to that, make a note into the third one of this month. So third week of this month is when that starts. But hey, we are pumped. We are still in our series entitled Margin. So we are in uh, week three of this series. And if you were around last night or if you watched any college football yesterday, you realize the importance of margin, right? I don't know why they put the late game on Saturdays, and they're always the best game. That way you have to stay up and you have to watch it to the very end. And I don't know about you, but I was... Room for Ohio State the whole way through, and there was a couple of times it left me feeling like I was to the breaking point, right? It left me like I was feeling like I was going over the edge and uh, yelling at the TV, but thank goodness for bad play calls from Penn State. That's all I'm saying, right? Well, we've been talking about margin, and really what we want is we want to live a life with margin. We want to live a life with a, a little bit of breathing room in our lives. It gives us some space to where we really can fully experience all of who God is. And we started off this series really defining what margin is, and we define margin as, as this. It's the space between our current pace and our breaking point. And margin is the space between our current pace and our breaking point. And the truth is we all have a breaking point, right? We all have a place where, where we get to the end where, where we're just going to snap. And that breaking point, if we cross over, that's really, that's really where, where regret lives. That's really where, where we oftentimes we fall into something we never intended to fall into. This is really where we find ourselves, where we, we have struggles, we have mistakes, and we even have sin, right? And in this series, we're talking about staying away from the edge. We're talking about living with some space, really steering clear of that breaking point and living with some space, living with a little breathing room right there where we can experience, fully experience Jesus, fully experience his grace and fully experience his mercy. And again, we started off really talking about how we do this and we went to the words of Jesus when he was preaching and we went back and he said this, he said what we have to do in Matthew 6, 33, he said, but first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Right, for us to experience margin, really, the basis of it all is to first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. First seek his kingdom, which means that we have to love people. And then seek his righteousness, which means we have to love God. When we do that, everything else will fall into place and we'll experience his margin. We'll experience his goodness. We need to live with margin in life, and that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to experience that. And again, margin is the space between our current pace and our breaking point. But for us to experience that, for us to experience that margin, for us even to make the action of seeking after his kingdom and his righteousness, we have some choices to make. We have some decisions that we have to make. And today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how our decisions affect our life, but they also affect our relationships. And I want to talk about how we can experience margin and our relationships, and how it all goes back to really our decisions, to our choices. And I was going to start off like I normally do, and I was going to say, hey, how many of you guys have ever made a decision in your life? But I kind of thought that's a pretty dumb question, because the truth is, 
you would have to make a decision whether to raise your hand or not. The truth is we make decisions every single day. Right? You've made decisions already. You made the decision of whether you're coming to first service or whether you're coming to second service. For those of you watching online, you made the decision to not come to a service at all, right, and just watch online. But the truth is we made a decision. We made a decision what time we're going to wake up. We made a decision what we're going to wear. And as my joke in the first service was some of you guys look at me and like, wow, you chose wrong, Corbin, right? We make a decision. We make a decision each and every day. And the truth is, I was looking through this, we make 35,000 decisions each and every day. I searched into that. For an average adult, makes 35,000 choices each and every single day. Think about that. That puts a little bit of pressure on us, right? That's why many of us, we have some stress in our lives. That's why many of us, we feel tension in our lives. Because we have all these choices that we have to make every single day. And here's what's crazy. Our decisions can lead to our habits. See, what we decide today turns into what we do tomorrow. Right? Our, our choices lead to our lifestyle. Again, what we choose determines what we experience. Again, it goes back to even thinking about as something as simple as what you wear. Now, for me, like, I actually have a, a pretty basic uh, wardrobe that I wear every single day, but it really stems from this fact that it's, sometimes it's hard to choose what to wear. And I'm actually a little bit colorblind, so there's certain things that don't necessarily look the right color to me, but I think they look the right color. And there's some times where I've left the house before Sarah's up, because I usually I, I run her. She's my filter to what I wear. So I run it through her. But there's been times like I've left the house, and then I'll come back later in the day, and she'll look at me, and she's like, did you wear that all day long? That's like a start to something bad. I'm like, yeah, um, why? And she's like, well, it goes, but I don't know if it really matches, but it goes, which again means I chose wrong. So what I've actually done lately, if you see me anytime outside of church or even on a Sunday morning now, you'll see me in a black t-shirt and a pair of pants, right? That's just what I wear. This is a fancy black t-shirt because it's got a pocket and a hood, right? But I do that because I know it matches with stuff, right? I know it just goes. I also do it because the truth is I'm cheap, and right now you can get a 10-pack of black t-shirts for $31. That's $3.10 a shirt, I'm just saying, right? But we have choices. We have choices every single day, and our choices determine our, conclu- our conclusion. Our choices affect our outcomes. What we choose determines what we experience. And this is true in our relationships as well. Listen, how we choose to treat others determines how we're treated. How we choose to treat others determines how people respond to us. How we choose to to interact with others determines the, the margin or the breathing room that we experience in those relationships. How we choose to act in our relationships even determines the grace and that mercy that we both will give and receive in those relationships. So we have to make a wise choice in our relationships. We have to choose wisely. And here's what I want us to walk away with. When it comes to our life, when it comes to our relationships, this is what I want us to understand. We need to choose people over progress and progress over perfection. Choose people over progress and progress over perfection. Now, as I state this, it, makes, it sounds real good. It rolls off the tongue. It's a definitely a, a, a quotable thing, and it sounds nice, but you're probably thinking, like, how does, that, how does that work? Like, what does that really mean? What does this look like in life? And really what I think we can do is we can actually look at the life of Jesus because Jesus did this over and over again. Jesus was the perfect example of this. Over and over again, Jesus chose people over progress and progress over perfection. And today what I want us to do is I want us to jump in a specific portion of Scripture in John chapter 8 where we see Jesus do this. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 8. 
And again, if you don't have a Bible, we always challenge you to download the YouVersion Bible app. Just an incredible resource to take with you wherever you go. That way you're reading your Bible every single day. And there's reading plans on there. And listen, I'm going to give something out. I cheat a little bit. But the Bible app actually reads to you as well. And that's okay. That counts. Like, I'm all about audio stuff. I learn audio. So have it read to you if you're not the type of person that wants to read all the way through, right? Have it read to you. Let's, let's partner up with the Bible app, right? But let's read our Bible every single day. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump into John chapter 8. We're going to start here at verses 2 and go through uh, verse 11. Verse 2 reads, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So let's just actually jump in and get a little background on this. So here's Jesus, and what he's doing, he's going to the temple courts. And the reason Jesus is going to the temple courts is because this was after a festival that was going on at this time. It was the Festival of Tabernacles. So here's this is a week-long uh, festival for the Jewish people. So people would come in, and uh, there was uh, multiple uh, people that would, that would even travel in to this festival. So like, this, is a, this is a big event, and this is actually the day after the event. So Jesus is here, and like the day after an event, you know that sometimes there's some people that just kind of stick around. Like kind of think of it this way, like a couple weeks back, uh, we had the, the lost lands that came into Licking County, and for like days after, there's people just kind of still hanging around, right? This is kind of what that is, but it was, it was a religious festival, and uh, so all these people are just kind of hanging out. And meanwhile, uh, during this week, Jesus kind of had like stirred the pot a little. All these religious people were there, they were teaching, and they were really talking about all these things, but Jesus kind of pushed back with them. He kind of stirred the pot. So the day after, there's people around, and they want to hear Jesus. But the religious leaders are really like, dude, we want Jesus and this whole crew. They just, he just needs to get out of here. So they kind of plot something here, which we see right here in verse 3. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So again, here's the Pharisees, right? Here's the religious leaders. And what they're doing is they're trying to trap Jesus. They have all these people, and Jesus kind of stirred the pot. And then you have these Pharisees coming in, trying to trap Jesus. And again, the Pharisees, these were, these were religious leaders who were focused in on the law. These were religious leaders who really were seeking after perfection and always chose perfection over people. And when you look at the law, when you look at the law that the Pharisees abided by, the law said that someone caught in adultery must be stoned. But check out how Jesus responds. It says this. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning on, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Here's these religious leaders, right? Here's these Pharisees. And they're choosing perfection. They're choosing the law. They're trying, to, they're trying to stone this woman caught in adultery. And then Jesus sees this lady, right? He knows, obviously, her sin is out there. And he responds to her sin in a completely different way than I think many of us do. I think a completely different way than many of us, if we call ourselves a Christian, than, than we typically do. Instead of like accusing her, instead of being shocked by her sin, instead of saying, oh my gosh, you, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever he, what we might call this person, Jesus instead just bends down and starts writing in the ground, starts writing in the dirt. And then they continue to question him. But what Jesus does is he levels the playing field. He says, if any one of you, if any one of you is without sin, if any one of you is perfect, then you can throw the first stone. Here's what Jesus did. 
He brought to light all their humanity. He brought to light each and all of us. He brought to light their humanity because Jesus knows this. Behind every sin, there's a person. Behind every mistake in a relationship, there's a person. Right Behind every huge mistake that we think is so big, there's a person, there's a human back there. And Jesus, instead of choosing the law, instead of choosing perfection like the Pharisees did, he chooses the person. Let's keep going in verse 8. It says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who've heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until Jesus, only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one said, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. If you look at this, Jesus was the only one left. He's the only one left because he was the only one that was perfect. Jesus is the only one that actually fulfilled the entire law. He was the only one that, that could even, was able to even condemn her. He was the only one that really could throw a stone at her. But he chose not to. He chose her instead. And he chooses us as well. Listen, Jesus chose me. He chose you. There's a lot of us that, that we're carrying on something. That's something that we may have done. Listen, we can, many of us, we can maybe even relate to this woman caught in the adultery, right? But guess what? Jesus still chooses us. And he chooses us every single time. Jesus died on a cross for you, but that didn't end. He was risen again so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could have a relationship with him. And this is the relationship that all, other, that all of our other relationships should be based off of. Right? We need to base our relationships off of this because this is where we experience grace. This is where we experience mercy. This is where we experience, this is where we experience marching. Jesus chose the woman, and she was caught in sin. She chose him, but don't miss this part. He told her, go and leave your life of sin. Go and make some progress. Right. He didn't start off with go and leave your life of sin. He started off with not throwing the stone. I think for many of us, if we're honest with ourselves and in our relationships and how we deal with people and how we deal with people that let us down, we start off with either you should be perfect or we start off with go and, and sin no more. We start off that way. But if you look at Jesus, that's not where he started. He started by not throwing the stone. And then he said, go, go and leave your life of sin. See, we're not negated because of our past. We're not negated because of our mistakes, but we're called still to grow from them. But he chooses us before he ever calls us to make some progress. Jesus chose the woman even before he told her to grow. And he chooses us the same way. He chooses us. And then he calls us to grow. He calls us to make some progress, which in turn points to his perfection. Choose people over progress and progress over perfection. Again, this sounds nice, but the truth is it's hard. It's hard for us to choose people over progress. It's hard for us to, to choose progress over perfection because the truth is many of us, we're obsessed with perfection. For many of us, we become so result-oriented, we become so result-driven that we forget about anything else, and more importantly, we forget about anybody else. And listen, I'm all for results. Like, I'm all for results, but they're not as important as people. They're not as important as the progress that needs to be made, which I think sometimes we forget. 
And when we forget this, what it does is it destroys relationships. There's people struggling. There's, probably, there's people struggling still to make their parents proud all because their mom or their dad chose perfection over them. There's people that sit in hours of counseling because someone close to them chose perfection over choosing them as a person. Right? There's marriages that have been ruined. There's marriages that have been destroyed because of disappointment and a spouse because they chose perfection rather than choosing the person. They expected results. They expected performance. They expected perfection over the relationship. And the truth is this happens all the time, and we do it as well. We find ourselves doing it. Listen, I find myself doing this too. In fact, just this week, I was, I, was telling my, I was telling Griffin that I was proud of him. And I was, telling, I was telling Griffin that I was proud of him for something he did, and then he responded this way. He responded by asking why, which means this. He's used to me telling him about his results. Right? So I tell Griffin, I'm like, Griffin, I'm proud of you, right? And he's like, but why? So I did it. I just started telling the results. Yeah, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for being good in school. Listen, before school, we started, he's a kindergartner, but before school, he started his goals. So for him, one of his goals was to make four new friends. He's already got four new friends. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm proud of you. You made four new friends already. He's in baseball and, and fall ball. So I'm telling him, I'm proud of you for, for being at fall ball, right? He's, he's a five-year-old playing up, so he's not that great. And he doesn't really pay attention. He's off in the middle of, but I'm proud of you for showing up, man. Like, I'm proud of you for going, right? I'm proud of you for, for coming to church. And listen, it's been like four months since our kids threw each other through a wall. So I'm proud of you that you didn't break through a wall anymore, right? I'm proud of you for these things. I remember I was going over these things and I'm telling him, and I forget. I'm like thinking, like, dude, I'm telling him all the things that he's doing. I'm proud of him for all his results. But the truth is, I had to slow down and look back. I'm like, Griffin, I'm proud of you for just being you. And I'm proud of you for, for being my son. The truth is, God looks out at us every single day and says, you know what? I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for being my child. I'm proud of you for being you. I created you that way, and I'm proud of you. We need to understand that. I think too many times we can become obsessed with perfection and progress, and we forget about the person. I think too many times what we do is we focus on what people can do for us rather than who they are. And when we do this, what we're doing is we're setting them up for failure, and we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Really, it's kind of like this. What I like to call the, the expectation gap. So perfection is all the way up here. And clearly that's not perfect. I had to squeeze in the end. But perfection is all the way up here, right? It's all the way up there. And if we're honest with ourselves, people, including us, we're down here. The Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God, right? We all fall short. We all fail. We all will let people down. We've all let people down the past, and we'll do it again. So the truth is, people are down here. But I think in our relationships, I think a lot of us, we have so much tension. We have so much struggle in our relationships. We don't have this margin in our relationships because too many times we're expecting perfection. We look at our spouse, we look at our coworker, we look at our child, we look at our, our, our sibling or whoever it is, right? We look at them and we expect perfection. But the truth is they're still a person. So they're down here. They're right there with us. And what that leaves is that leaves this gap. It leaves this expectation gap. And what lives in this expectation gap is frustration. What lives in this expectation gap is disappointment. It is discouragement. It's the place where we get let down. Think about it. 
We do this in our relationships, right? We do this with our kids. We do this with our spouses. We do this with our coworkers. We do this with our, work, our, our bosses, our friends. We expect perfection, but the truth is they're just people. And so many times we get let down because of that. We don't live with margin because of that. We have this area where we live in frustration and disappointment, all because we're focused on the wrong thing, because we're focused up here instead of here. We're choosing the wrong thing. We need to choose people over progress, and progress over perfection. Instead of living a life of discontent, instead of having having this gap, instead of living a life of frustration, we need to choose people over progress and progress over perfection. Because when we do, we'll experience grace. We'll experience mercy. And when we do this, we'll look like Jesus. We'll look like Jesus So what happens is, is then we'll in turn allow people to make some progress, which will point to Jesus, which will point to his perfection. And here's how we do it. Here's how we live this out. We live out what Paul stated in Ephesians 4.32. And again, if you remember last week, we talked about Paul a little bit. Paul was a guy who who really lived completely out of alignment with God. In fact, he he was the type of guy, he was, a very, he was a religious leader, and he was actually focused in on perfection. He was focused in on perfection so much so that he actually tried and he ordered the death of Christians because he thought they were going against the law. But then he had this incredible experience with Jesus he were, where he was completely blinded, and then he experienced Jesus and changed everything about him. Then he became focused in on who God was. And he challenges us to do the same thing. He challenges us to do the same thing in Ephesians 4.32 where he says this, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven us. To choose people over progress, to choose progress over perfection, and to gain margin in our relationships, this is what we need to live out. We need to live out being kind to each other, being tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. And it starts with, number one, it starts just by being kind. It's crazy how basic sometimes living and living out what God's called us to do is. This is, a, this is something we are told when we're little kids, right? To be kind. For, for some of us, it's a little bit hard. So one definition of kind is this. It's, it's being gracious. And I love this. Truth is, we need to be gracious, which means this. It means that we lead with grace. To choose people over progress and progress over perfection, we need to lead with grace, right? It all starts with grace. It starts with kindness. And this is what I know. In our relationships, we experience the amount of grace we give. We experience the amount of kindness we give. So be kind and lead with grace. See, grace puts out fires, whereas judgment fuels fires. Think about it. Any type of argument that you've ever had, in any type of conflict that you've ever had, in any type of disagreement that you've ever had, if you go into that conversation, if you go into that conversation with judgment, and you start off, well, you did this or you did that, it's not going to end well, right? But if you're kind, if you lead with grace, then you can change the outcome. And what if you went in there and you started with, with help me understand why? What if you gave others the benefit of the doubt? That's what kindness is. It's choosing people and it's leading with grace. And again, this isn't easy. I mess this up every single day and chances are you will as well. But it allows us to live a lot more like Jesus. So think about it. What are some situations in your life? What are some situations in your life that you need to lead with grace? Maybe for this, 
Maybe for this week, what you need to do is you need to go back and you need to, you need to write out some, some relationships. So maybe there's some tension points. And maybe you need to, to write out some, some situations where there's some struggles with. There's some, some things where you're not feeling a lot of margin, where you're feeling a lot of pressure, where you feel like you're on the breaking point, right? Maybe go back and look at those, write those down, and then go through them. And instead of blaming, begin by starting and giving the benefit of the doubt. Instead of starting the conversation, well, this person did that or this, talk to them, ask them, help me understand them. Help me understand why. Be kind. Lead with grace. And this, this begins with our words, but it also begins with our mannerisms. Right? It begins with our tone. Right? Be kind. Lead with grace and be kind. Number two is to be tenderhearted. Be tenderhearted, which means this. It means that we're not overbearing. It means that we're not pushy. It means that we're not hard. It means that we're not rash. But instead, we're tenderhearted. Through this, for many of us, though, many of us, we've been let down before. Many of us, we've had people let us down. We've had people dis- disappoint us before. And because of that, we've become hardened. Because of that, our hearts have gotten a little bit harder. Because of our hurt, really, I think many of us, we've even become cynical. But Paul tells us to do the opposite. He says, be tender-hearted. In our relationships, we need to have thick skin and a soft heart. We need to be able to, to bear the harsh words of others, but not to give them out. And here's really how we do that. We both sympathize and empathize with them. In our lives, we need to ask, we need to sympathize, and we need to ask for a heart of compassion. And then we need to place ourselves in their shoes. Think about when's the last time where you looked at a situation or a relationship that has some tension, and when's the last time you looked at it from their point of view? I know for me, this changes things up. I'll get real. Like, obviously, like, so I'm married, and if you've ever been married or you are married, you know that sometimes married life isn't always perfect. It's no different for a pastor. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, we still fight. There's things that we argue about, and it's probably the exact same things that you guys argue about. And there's some times where it gets a little tense. It gets a little heated. My wife grew up on the east side, so she has an east side voice that comes out as well. It's pretty interesting. So it's, it's really, and that happens. And there's some times I look, and I'm like, man, what's going on here? And then I go back, and, like, I'm kind of bullheaded, so I'll continue. But... The best thing for me to do is to become tenderhearted. The best thing for me to do is empathize with her. And then when I realize that each and every day she has to actually deal with me, changes things up a little bit, right? It changes things up a little. I can back up and be like, okay, man, I was an idiot in that situation. So I need to somehow swallow my pride, maybe apologize, just on the level, right? there, just on the edge, right? I need to do that. I need to sympathize. I need to be empathetic with where she is. And when I put myself in her shoes, I become tenderhearted. Think about it in your relationships. What's an area where you need to become tenderhearted? What's an area where you need to show some sympathy? What's an area where you need to show some empathy and, and empathize with them? So I challenge you. I challenge you this week in your relationships, before you respond, before you say a single word, or before you even internalize things and get hurt, before you get disappointed, before you get angry, place yourself in their shoes. Place yourself in their shoes. Begin to see what they see. It'll allow you to become tenderhearted. It'll allow you to choose them over perfection. It'll allow you to choose them over progress. So number two is be tenderhearted. Number three is to forgive. We're supposed to forgive just as God through Christ forgave us. Again, if you look at this woman caught in adultery, right, her punishment was death. But Jesus didn't throw the stone. Instead, he forgave. Listen, there's some things that people do to us, and they deserve some punishment. There's something they deserve. 
But God hasn't called us to be the one who punishes them. He's called us to forgive them. Right? Instead of throwing the stone, we need to forgive. Again, this is, this is a tough one. Truth is, it's easier to hold grudges. It's easier to get revenge. It's easier to get payback. And oftentimes, it even feels good, right? It feels good in that moment. It even feels good to hold on to a grudge, like they're going to get what's coming to them. It feels good to get payback. And it even feels righteous. But it's a self-righteousness. And again, we started off this series talking that we're supposed to seek His righteousness, not ours. And when we seek his righteousness, what we're doing is we're seeking after forgiveness every single time. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. To choose the person, we have to choose forgiveness. We have to let go of that grudge. Think about it. Is there a grudge that you've been holding on to? Maybe you've been holding on to for years. Is, is there somebody that you need to forgive? I want to challenge you. Forgive them. Do it. Forgive them. And understand this. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean that that relationship's going to be perfect. Just because you forgive them doesn't even mean that that relationship needs to be perfect. Doesn't even mean that that relationship even needs to be restored. But it'll make you better. Right? It'll heal you. Don't let your past wounds bleed onto someone else. Don't let your past wounds bleed onto a different relationship. Right? Choose forgiveness. When we choose forgiveness, it allows us to choose a person. So be kind, be tenderhearted, and forgive. Choose people over progress and progress over perfection. And what this is, this is loving people to life change. I mean, think about it. This is why we exist. This is even why we planted four years ago, because we wanted to choose people. We're called to love people to life change. So we need to choose people. Be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving, and choose people. Again, this is the culture. This is the culture that we even need to protect. As a church, we all have the responsibility. We are the church, and we have the responsibility to carry this on and to protect this culture, not to judge people, not to, not to lead people, in, and to look down on people and try to kick them out because of something they may have done in the past or something they did recently, but instead to choose them over the perfect. Choose them over perfection. Micah 6.8 says, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that's what we want to do. And it starts with choosing people. Right? We need this in our relationships over and over again. I want to challenge you to choose people. Because the truth is this. We will never look into somebody's eyes that God doesn't deeply love and care about. So we need to choose people. We need to love people to life change. Choose people over progress and progress over perfection. As we close, if you would, pull out the, the response card, your connection card, and the seat back in front of you. Maybe you're here today, maybe as you're listening to this, as you hear this, maybe you never realized that Jesus chose you. Maybe you never realized the impact of what he did on a cross and how he was risen again actually affected you and the fact that he chose you over anything you've done in the past, over any sin that you have. Maybe you've never realized and that today you've realized that and you want to make a commitment to follow him. Listen, if that's you today, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here today and you've never made a commitment or maybe you did but you walked away, on that connection card, that first box says, I want to make a commitment to follow Christ. If that's you, check mark that box and then believe that God loves you so much that he chose you. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've had some, some relationships that are, 
that are a little tense. Maybe there's some relationships where you don't have any margin. You're living on the edge and they're about to break. You're about to have these broken relationships. But God's telling you to choose them over them. Choose them over perfection. Maybe God's telling you to, to be kind to them, to be tenderhearted, or maybe you just need to forgive them for something. Listen, whatever God's asking, I want to challenge you to write it down and then begin to live it out. There's also a place for a prayer request as well. If you would, take this moment to fill this out. If you've been here multiple times, what we ask is we ask you to, to put your name on it and, and your cell phone number and then maybe what you're going through, that way we can partner with you in prayer. We can be praying for you with what God's asking you to do. But fill that out. If you're a first-time guest, we ask you to actually fill it out completely. And you can take it to the Connect Center at the end of service, and we have a gift for you as well. But if you would, take this moment to fill that out and to get any ties or offering ready. And I'll be up in just a moment to explain the next. Thank you for listening to the Life Change Church Podcast. If you were here today and you were listening and you made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to hear about it. Or maybe you're here and you're listening and that God is asking you to make the next step with whatever that it is in your life. We would love to hear about it and partner up with you. If you would, go to www.mylifechangechurch.com and under the media section, please fill out the contact us information and let us know if you made a decision to follow Christ. Let us know what God is asking of you. And if you need prayer, we would love to partner up with you in prayer as well. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast and that it both encouraged and challenged you. Have a great week. Thank you.